Maximize your sense of aliveness. Gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Again, welcome and thank you for being here. And thank you all for being such lovely support to my mother while I'm really far away. It means a lot. So uh, in this paradigm, we're going to look from a big picture first. And uh, I just want to say that a lot of what I share tends to make people question what they think they know. And so with that, uh, I just would like to ask all of you to close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes. And say, how do I know what I think I know about health? Where did I learn it? What experimentation have I found for myself? Where have I gotten results? Who taught me even what the concept of health means? A really great place to start when we're starting to interact with thinking outside of the box in the realms of health and well-being is this reflection on how we know what we think we know. You can open your eyes whenever, whenever you're finished. It's really important to engage with that because we're fed with so much information today. So much information about our health or our perhaps things that people want to sell us, right? especially here in the United States. This is not a place where I normally do my work for well reason because it's a very hard wall to go up against. So I give big credit to the people who are working here and doing this kind of work here. Um, in general... The approach that I take is very simple. And so I often call my lectures health satsangs. And satsang is a, it's an awareness of a term, satsang. Sat is truth, and sang comes from the Pali Sanskrit root word community. And so it's sitting in community and talking about truth. And uh, that's not a truth like, oh, I think I know I'm right. My parents had the debates on last night. I'm very removed from American politics. But it's the essence of speaking to something inside of you that resonates. And you don't know why. It's not a mental thing. It's just this awareness of, like, that feels right. And so a lot of the work I do is to, to awaken that inside of people. And they leave. And all the time I get messages two, two years later, three years later, of people saying that one lecture completely changed my perspective on everything. And so if I had any intention tonight, or this today, I always give my lectures at night, it would be to plant seeds so that these are things that you can perhaps put one foot in front of another and reflect on in your own life. And this is really personal, and I know it gets really personal because people tend to think, oh, I'm doing things wrong. Right? But it's not about that. It's about empowering you to find a way to be able to be more honest with yourself about this human body and this life. All right, so um, I'm always here, of course, to this audience especially. You can send me messages anytime. I'm getting emotional again. <laughs> you can send it through my mom. She'll get it to me. Um, but yeah, just, just to know that also there's no expectations of that you take anything away from today and apply it to your life. But the essence of that truth will mean that likely you'll reflect on these things for years to come. So uh, the second thing that I want to say before we get started with the top 10 
is that uh, as a naturopathic doctor, and I qualified two years ago as a naturopathic doctor in India, and so we have to look at that for the American publishing because, of course, the regulations are different here. But uh, the foundation of natural medicine and naturopathy is that the body can heal itself. The body can heal itself. And that's not something that you were taught in school or growing up or through your adulthood. But it's something that you know because what happens if you get a cut? Well, you cover it up and it repairs. What happens if you break a bone? Nothing. You go to the doctor, maybe they'll set it and put a cast. And it repairs. And so this is an intuitive awareness that we all have that the body can heal itself. And it, we just have to start to tap into that self-healing power. And so seeing things from that perspective, not that I need this medicine or I need that treatment or I need this surgery for it to heal itself, but to actually be opened in the doors of perception to understand that the body can heal itself, that alone is, is something significant. And so I invite you to entertain that idea. And this is indeed the work I do in Bali. Uh, I lead transformative fasting retreats every single month and also in the off weeks, shorter ones. And we see tremendous results in terms of disease reversal. People who have had, let's say, wrist pain for years, they'll come and on day five of the fast, and fasting is defined as not taking in solid fibrous matter for a certain period of time. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit through the numbers. But on day five of the fast, someone can be relieved of years of neck pain or wrist pain or whatever it was. Right? I've seen imbalances in blood pressure or hormonal levels even out. One of my dear friends who I studied with in Paris almost 10 years ago, she just came to Bali to visit and she was on my program and she's been taking hormone medicine yeah, for her thyroid, for a thyroid imbalance. Well, we responsibly and gradually, and she did with her own power, decided to stop taking her medicine for that period of time. And what do you know? She goes back to Germany where she lives and gets the test from the doctor and the doctor says, this is weird. It's all normal again. You don't have a thyroid imbalance. Right? And so this amazing potential for the body to heal itself simply has to just be awakened and given time and space without so much influence of everything else. Does that make sense? All right, so let me get through here so we can get into the core of the lecture, but I always do start every lecture with uh, exposure of my biases so that you know who's talking. I don't want to hide any cards, and I do have biases, right? I'm a human being on the earth. And so with those, uh, as I said, all of my understanding is founded and rooted in natural medicine, that statement that the body can heal itself. Beyond that, uh, I did my master's, some of you might remember, <laughs> in England about five years ago now. I have a Master's of Science in Ethnobotany, which is the study of the relationship between people and plants. And my specialty in that is gastroethnobotany, the relationship between people and food plants, which is pretty interesting. Uh, I have other certifications in holistic nutrition consulting and things like that, although I try to avoid the word nutrition like the plague, because we're the only species on the planet who need a nutritionist. It's pretty funny, you know, when you think about it, because... Normally, a species is born because they have a specific diet that's been put forth for them. And we do too, but humans have evolved into being these crazy omnivorous beings where we just eat everything we see, <laughs> more or less. And so, uh, especially with the food packaging industry today, we tend to be eating things that are not necessarily created for the human body. 
So um, other biases, I have a large bias toward the large intestine. For uh, about seven or eight years now, I've been actively practicing in the art of colon hydrotherapy, which you might not have heard about, which is funny because two generations ago, colon cleansing and colon hygiene is something that was as normal as bubble gum. Right? Ask your, perhaps your parents if they're still alive, or perhaps you remember your parents if they had an enema bag hanging up yeah, in their bathroom. Something like this was the first line of defense. The understanding that we need to release toxic waste that's held there in the body. Right? The rubbish bin is overflowing in our body. That's what's happening in the modern world. And so we'll get into this as we go. But in general, uh, through thousands and thousands of colon hydrotherapy sessions, I've gotten the great gift to see what comes out of people's bodies. And I can tell you it's a lot. <laughs> I won't say it's not pretty, but it's a lot. <laughs> This amount of waste that's being released. And so just to, to understand that perhaps we have a lot of waste inside of us that's being held and it needs to be better released. And so uh, we'll be talking about this. Number two of my 10 ways to improve our life as we age lecture is definitely pooping more. So. All right. As we go, uh, I want to just uh, acknowledge that in the United States specifically, because that's where I am right now, and I don't, I, as I said, I don't spend much time here, so it's, it's confronting for me to be here, but here more than anywhere else in the world, we have this incredibly intertwined system of the medical pharmaceutical insurance complex. And I know that probably every single one of you in this room has had an experience with that where it's like, need to have insurance. To do a surgery here, it costs 10 times as much as anywhere else in the world, right? To, to see a doctor, often you're gonna leave with some pharmaceutical prescriptions because actually that doctor is getting paid quite often by the pharmaceutical company. And so there's this entwining of all of these different parts. And it's not anyone's fault, no one's doing anything wrong. It's just that there's this complex that exists to keep this society really, really, really heavy, heavily medicated. And so the United States does take more medication than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, and that's something to, to consider and to just reflect on and to say, okay, well, what does that really mean? What does that mean for me in my life? What does that mean with the people that I'm walking around engaging with? Because the truth is, I mean, if everyone were taking like LSD and MDMA, right, you would think that there was something wrong with it. <laughs> Same things. They're chemicals coming into the body. Whether they're psychotropics or not, whether they're changing our ability to perceive or not is one thing, because they're definitely changing our physiology. Right? And so are you walking down the street talking to people on drugs all the time? Right? We have pharmaceutical drugs, 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 very similar name, dr drugs, right? <laughs> okay, so um, num the, the fourth thing that I want to talk to you about before we get into the heart of the lecture is the understanding that disease itself is not guaranteed in life. That three generations ago, it's not like everyone just turned to the age of 40 and started to get bone density loss, develop some kind of cancer, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't something that was implied. And yet now, right, everyone knows multiple people with certain kinds of cancer, or diabetes, or autoimmune diseases, or heart disease, right? I'm sure every single one of you in the room in your immediate family likely, has someone affected by these maladies. And yet the work I do specifically through Cornell University, 
with Dr. Colin T. Campbell, understands that the five most prevalent diseases of today, cancer, heart disease, autoimmune diseases, obesity, and diabetes, are all not only completely actually able to be reversed in a preventable way, but that you have the power to try to make sure that they never come. And so that's something also that you weren't necessarily taught in school. Again, we go back to this idea of the complex and how it's so normal. And so I, I understand that even just right now, what I'm saying might seem quite radical to many of you. And so we're going to streamline this in into making it applicable to your lives so that you can see step by step what every day you can do to start to prevent maladies as you get older. So that when you're 90, right, for some of you in 75 years, <laughs> you'll feel like you did when you were 30. Because that's possible. And we see cases of it all over. And I can tell you now, right, I feel so much better than I did 10 years ago as a human being, as an a, a, a able human body, yeah, with my ability to interact with this earth. And so the work I do is about getting younger as we get older. All right. And the last uh, thing I'll say is that really my, my main goal or my main intention is to raise the bar on health, where we no longer define health as living without disease, but rather redefine it to be living with maximum vitality. Right? That's like the half glass half full kind of thing. Because if I said, what's health? It's like, or if I said, how are you doing? You say, well, at least I got my health. Well, what does that really mean? It means you're not sick. What if there's more is my question. What if there's so much more? Living every day, getting out of bed like you did when you were a kid, feeling like, yes, I want to take on the day. What can I create today? What can we do? Right? And I know that all of you have felt that at some point in your life. And it, just because you're whatever age you are doesn't mean that you're no longer entitled to feel that. And I will also make a disclaimer that, of course, I'm completely unqualified to give this lecture in this human body, right? I'm not 50 or 60 or 70. And so I don't know what it feels like. But I can tell you that over the past decade of quite exquisite experimentation with this human body and with thousands of my clients, I've had the ability to do experiments that show results, that can show that the human body can heal itself. And there's nothing that would change that for a body later in age. Because the thing is, our physiological age is our true age. The number of years we've been on Earth is just an age. And like physiologically, I'm, I think I'm 14. I was tested two years ago in India. So yeah, and that's exciting. Right? We don't have to get older as we get older. Yeah. All right, so here are the clues as to how. Woo! Number one, way to get younger as you get older is hydration. Now the human body itself is made of 60 to 90% water. That you probably knew. That's more than mostly water. Well, the thing is that this water, I ask you to imagine like a bathtub that's full of water that's been sitting there for, I don't know, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. It's going to be pretty dirty, this water inside. Well, what if we take a cup of clean water and we pour it in and then we take out a cup of dirty water. Maybe we do that like three or four times a day. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's going to take a long time for the bathtub to clean itself. 
The human body uses and loses three liters of water per day. So what would happen then if we replace that with clean, fresh water? Like take a bucket now and put it in the bathtub and then take out a bucket of dirty water. It would clean itself much faster. Well, this is our human body. We are made of water. It's in our blood and our lymph. These are our transport systems, the metro system of the body. This is what's distributing the hormones, what's giving nutrition to the cells through the bloodstream, right? Chemical messages abide. They go all over all the time. And so the thing is, if this metro system is very dirty, the messages either won't arrive or they won't arrive properly on a nourishment level, on a nutrition level, on a hormonal level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so having a clean stream or metro you know, the channels of Versailles right here in the body, we'll find, the Venice, canals of Venice, we'll find that this is the most potent thing that we can do to heal and to cleanse, is simply to keep the river that runs through us clean. All right? And so, number one way to get younger as we get older is to drink more water. Yeah? And my advice for that is to drink a liter to a liter and a half, first thing in the morning. And that's not gulp, gulp, gulp. That's a sip every few minutes. Whatever you do first thing, if you check your emails or if you call your kids or whatever it is, if you walk a dog, have a water bottle that you love, right? Invest in a water bottle. I'm totally not about selling things, but so get one from a secondhand store or something. <laughs> right? Get a water bottle that you love and make sure that it's always full. You empty it once and then you fill it again. Start to track actually how much water that you're drinking. This alone, more than anything, can make a tremendous difference. You could leave right now and have shifted things radically in your health. All right, and I know that since we're dealing with this age group and especially dealing with women, you might be saying, okay, you haven't met my bladder. <laughs> yeah, which is fair, that's fair, yeah? Uh, some awareness on that in terms of pelvic anatomy Many women in later age and after pregnancy as well as in the United States as well as in less active communities tend to have muscles of the pelvic floor which simply aren't as tight as they could be. And so I'm sure you probably know the Kegel exercises, the famous Kegel exercises. So certain exercises like this or in yogasana, in yoga what we do a lot of the time is just strengthen the pelvic floor. Simple amazing exercises that you could be doing right now and I wouldn't know. And so what if you committed to doing them every single day? Right. What would change? Because muscle has memory. Muscle tissue has memory. Has the ability to reenact and re-enliven. Right. And we know, of course, muscle tissue will atrophy if unused. And so, if I haven't met your bladder yet, one of these things is the pelvic floor integrity. Another one of these things is the fact that actually a lot of the organs inside have what's called prolapsed, have gone down, specifically the transverse part of the large intestine and the colon. It's prolapsed. And so that's pushing down on so many things below it. And so what can help this? Well, awesome. I'm stoked that my father, after years of me begging him, bought an inversion table. Yeah? Yeah, he bought it. Oh, really? Bobby gave it to him. Love it. It was given. <laughs> Second-hand inversion table. Amazing. So this is one of the most amazing things that we can do is turn ourselves upside down. 
And so in, in yoga, we do this often in different postures. One of my favorite yoga poses that I recommend to anyone is called Viparita Karani. It's putting your legs up the wall. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, try it out. That's your homework. I'm giving you homework. Is that okay? Do I have permission for that? All right, legs up the wall. This is something that I, I prescribe to my clients twice a day for 15 minutes. Do it. You'll know why I'm telling you to do it. Okay, maybe that's when you wake up or before you go to bed. It's at your bed on the headboard. For the inversion effect, what you can do is put one or two or three pillows underneath your sacrum underneath the lowest part of your back. And then you'll get this beautiful inversion and over time the colon will start to come back into place and stop pressing so much down on the bladder. From there, also, any kind of abdominal strengthening that you can do will help to put everything back in its place. So, uh, of course, again, in this human body I don't have the experience that you have, but I imagine from my clients and from perhaps hearing from some of you that you feel like after a certain time, everything just spills out. <laughs> after age X, everything just starts to... Is any, does that resonate with anyone? A little bit? Maybe? Maybe not? Willing to admit? Not? It's okay. We can meet you where you are. <laughs> so just understanding that, that you have the power to pull it up and pull it in. And in yoga, we have a, this is essentially what we're working on the whole time. It's called the bandhas, this internal strength system. And again, all muscle tissue has memory, so you have the ability to rebuild that. I know that some of you chose to come here rather than your Pilates class this morning, which I appreciate, oh. but I still hope you go to your Pilates class. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Very good. So building this inner strength can definitely show results, but it's something that takes dedication. It's not like, oh, I do it once and hope to see the result. That's what we get in this modern society. We want this instantaneous gratification. Right? Well, it takes work. Yeah. What, what is the phrase? Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> All right. So hydration is number one. little tangent there on the bladder discussion to uh, adopt this to this age group. But understanding that all of this is within your control. And my recommendation for the, the bladder situation is that perhaps you start drinking water as soon as you wake up and you drink it for an hour. And then likely you'll be at home and you'll get to pee whenever you want, as much as you want. Because this hydration, the river running through us, it's just not worth it to sacrifice or to not hydrate. Like that dirty bathtub is going to just create dirt in the body and create an area that's ripe for disease. Does that make sense? So you'll feel this, for example, like my mother taught me when I was growing up, bless her, to Feel your rings. You feel when your rings are tight or when they're loose sometimes. Yeah. So that's a great marker of hydration in your body. Go like this and feel your fingers. And so when I have people on fasting retreats where they haven't had any salt, any oil, of course they haven't had any food, and they've just hydrated incredibly throughout the week, they feel tremendous changes in their body in inflammation. Because it all of a sudden goes away and there's clarity where there was once swelling. And uh, something else that we should man mention here in hydration is edema, the holding of water. Does anyone feel like, oh, no, I can't drink that much water. My body just holds it. No one? No one feels like that? All right, maybe you do. Secretly, someone. I wasn't pointing to, <laughs> I wasn't pointing to anyone. <laughs> Secretly, so I'll, I'll mention it because perhaps some of you might actually feel this is a very, very common thing with women, especially at middle age, even younger these days. And it has to do with the level of hydration in your body. I call it the desert analogy. 
Because what happens is if your body is in a chronically dehydrated state, which most people's are today, chronically dehydrated, I think this is like responsible for more than 50% of our disease it has its roots in dehydration. Wow. But anyway, so if someone's chronically dehydrated, then their body, it's like they have this one glass of water. Right? And it's, they're in the desert because there's, it's not raining. And so their body's going to hoard and keep the water and not let it go because they're in the desert and they don't know when the next water's coming. Does that make sense? And so that person then wouldn't want to hydrate because they feel like their body's holding water. Well, wait a minute. What if we go and we have the rain come down? The body says, oh, well, it's raining. Okay. Wait, maybe there's water. And it slowly, slowly, slowly lets go of the water. Does that make sense? And so uh, just to, to understand that and the relationship with hydration and water retention. All right, from there, we'll go to number two way that we can empower our health in later stages of life. We'll go to elimination. I told you it was going to be number two. <laughs> so pooping. This is something that I often talk about. I'm fondly called the poo guru by many of my students. And uh, this idea that we need to eliminate much more than we do is something so crucial to getting our health back on track. We, as human beings... Just like any other animal, we're meant to be pooping once per meal per day. Now, that could have been the most shocking thing that I've said this morning. Yeah, once per meal per day. If you think about it, something goes in, something must come out. Just like babies, right? Most of you have had babies. Just like dogs. Just like a machine, like a juicer. Yeah, you put something in, the, the waste comes out from what you've put in. I mean, where does it go if it's not coming out? So this makes sense, and this is huge in and of itself, this understanding that we're to be pooping way more than we usually do. And so there were studies up until the 1980s, before that whole pharma insurance medical complex got so strong, up until the 80s, Chicago, Sunday Evening Post, breast cancer linked to constipation, things like this where we start to see that there's an an understanding, a connection here, that if we're not allowing waste to come out, that it's going to be held in the body. And if that the waste is held in the body, it's creating a cesspool, literally, which makes this environment really ripe for disease. Does that make sense? And so we start to see, okay, one of the best things that I can do is poop more. Poop more. Come on, don't distract us. This is the most important part of the, this is the, most important part of the lecture. <laughs> Let's hope so. Okay, so anyway, you're with me on pooping more? So I don't expect to just tell you poop more and then leave and not tell you how. I... <laughs> Very good. Poop breaks are always welcome. So um, I give people often three ways to poop more, and I'll add maybe four or five uh, for your list as well. But the number one way to poop more was number one on our list. What did we just talk about? Hydration. So if you think about like a rubber tube and a rock inside, it's really difficult to move the rock down the tube. But if all of a sudden you pour a bunch of water in the tube, the rock slides out. Hopefully, you get that analogy, the tube is your colon, and hopefully your poo is not as hard as a rock. What you'll find then is that just hydration alone can make you go to the toilet more. And this includes hydrating food. And so if you think of everything you normally eat, what has a lot of water in it? 
Fruits and vegetables, I bet you've never heard those are good for you before. And I actually, I don't often give dietary advice because the work I do in health is so much more expansive than that. And so if there were dietary advice that I would give, it would be to eat way more fruits and vegetables, whatever you think more is, three times that. Until you're eating mostly, mainly fruits and vegetables. And the other things will fall away. And the more that you can become a scientist in the own living laboratory of your body, the more you can start to see, actually notice how these things are making you feel and what the results are. And that's when it gets really exciting. So, how to poop more. Number one was hydration. That includes food, eating more fruits and vegetables. Something that I challenge uh, my clients to do if they're not ready to fast is do what's called a fruit fast, where you only have fruit and maybe leafy green vegetables for maybe a week. Wow, I know that's going to confront a lot of things in your mind and your level of safety and can I do it? Will I survive? This is the stuff that I face every single month when I lead these fasting retreats. And so maybe for this group, I'll challenge you to two days. Sometime over the next year, perhaps you can take two days. That's two days in a really beautifully long life when you can only eat fruit and leafy greens and see what the changes are. We're not doing this to lose weight. We're not doing this because I told you to do this. We're doing this because you want to start to experiment. See how the poop comes out. <laughs> right? Start to tap into this awareness. All right. So from there, third way to, uh, second way to poop more is to squat. Actually, the way in which we are meant to go to the toilet is the same way that women are meant to give birth, like this. Yeah. And in a squat position. And so I've lived in China, people hang out on the streets like this all the time, right? But in the West, no one ever sits on the ground or no one ever goes in this position. And so our muscles have formed in a way where that's really difficult. So uh, there's a solution for that. Worry not. We have a solution for everything. Get a stool or flip over a rubbish bin and put your feet up on it so you're in a squat-like position. Do you see that? Lean forward a little bit so the weight's there. All right. Now, with anything I say, I always ask people not to believe me. Please don't believe me. Verify me. So try it out. You can let me know how it goes. Let your friends and family know that we're actually meant to be squatting, to poop. And the reason for this, many different reasons bioanatomically, but specifically around the rectum, which is the end of the digestive tract, there's a muscle, the puborectalis muscle. And that muscle's tight when we're standing up or when we're sitting in a chair like this because it doesn't want us to poop in our pants, thankfully. However, when we bring our knees up toward the shoulders, that muscle loosens, creating a clear passageway for things to pass through. So this is why it's necessary to squat. We'll try that out. From there, number three way to poop more is to give yourself time, to make time, to go to the toilet, when you don't even think you have to, because quite often people's notification system is a little malfunctioning because we've said no so many times and held the poop in so many times. So go to the toilet when you don't even have to think you have to, perhaps three times a day, 10 minutes, squat there. If you're hydrated, I encourage you to get your mind off of things. And so you can bring your phone or bring a book and play on Facebook or something. I have lots of free resources you can read while you're on the toilet. People write me from the toilet all the time. That's okay. That's okay. Right? And 
as your mind leaves, you'll find that your body all of a sudden knows exactly what to do because the body only wants to heal itself. And so, three ways to poop more. Hydrate, squat, and give yourself time. Make time. When I work with busy corporate CEOs and things like that, I have them write into their calendar 10 minutes, three times a day. They can call it meditation in case their assistant sees, right? Where they're going to the toilet. And if you have that time, then you get over the whole mental craziness of like, am I going to poop more? Is anything going to come out? Do I have time? Oh, is someone in the stall next to me? Oh, I can't poop there. I know this is something that maybe you guys are over at this stage of life. You're like, ah, oh, whatever. It's whatever. But I, I encourage you to embrace the okayness of pooping because last time I checked, everyone does it. So from there, other things that I would add to this list are probiotics, good bacteria, pro, good for biotic life, good things for life. Well, we are surrounded overly so, especially in this country, with tremendous amounts of antibiotics, things against life, are killing things off. And certain antibiotics have saved humans throughout time for sure, but we don't necessarily need to be exposed to them every time we wash our hands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in our food, in really everywhere we look, there's antibiotics sprayed through the aisle on the airplane before we land, things like that. It's crazy. And so the more good life, good bacteria we can have, the better. Because probiotics are what is responsible for regulating our immune system, right? So the fact that like I haven't gotten sick in a really, 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 really long time, I don't need to knock on wood because <laughs> I have good, healthy bacteria, right? And then beyond that, there are what regulates the digestive tract and allows us to poop, okay? So probiotics come in two forms. One is pill form, which is a bit of a gamble because there's no guarantee that your body will recognize something that was made in the laboratory. But the other form I really like, so I do recommend that people do take probiotics in pill form just because it's a gamble, why not? The other one is, though, much more important. It's food form of probiotics. And so these are things that you might know. You might know them first as yogurt. And there are lots of alternative yogurts coming out today, like from coconut or from almond milk. Things like that are really awesome. Also, certain cultured vegetables like sauerkraut. Does anyone, does anyone have any family traditions of like your grandmother used to make some kind of fermented or cultured vegetable? I'll check into this. I do research all over the world. Uh, but these kinds of things are found in every culture throughout humanity. I was just in Iceland a month ago. And in Iceland, they have fermented shark meat that they ferment and bury under the ground because that fermentation process is able to enliven the good bacteria in the food. And they only eat like that much of it, just a little dose, because it's medicinal. It helps to regulate. So other good probiotic foods are things you'll know, like from Japan, miso. Yeah. Perhaps pickled, any kind of pickled anything. Like in India, we have tons of pickles. Also, you can make your own fermented vegetables at home. You might have heard of certain beverages like kombucha from Russia. Kimchi from Korea. Have you had kimchi before? These things, and so you can definitely find them at a health food store, but you can also learn how to make them on your own. Uh, I just finished uh, my first ebook that I can send out to everyone, and there's a, a recipe there for fermented vegetables. But this is one of the best ways to empower your health, to get that good regulating bacteria in, to be responsible to prevent getting a flu this season. Right?
because that's not something that's normal. And mind you, the foundation of, of naturopathy is also uh, a disbanding of the germ theory. That's actually the guy who, who made the germ theory 10 years later said, wow, that was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my whole career. Because the thing is, it's not like I'm going to cough <coughs> and you'll get sick. If I cough, you're only going to get sick if you have a weakened system. If you have a strengthened system and I cough, you won't get sick. And so the whole idea of the cold going around the office or everyone in my family, this or that, it's not really true because the whole idea of the germ theory is about exposure. But if we are strong inside and have a boosted immune system, then we're resilient. Well, that's, that's a different way to think about things that I invite you to embrace. All right, from there, uh, second tenant here of 10 ways that you can empower your health was elimination, pooping more. I think I've told you how to poop more. If you try those things out, if you're well hydrated, if you're squatting, if you're getting your mind off of things and giving yourself time, if you're taking lots of probiotics and also doing those abdominal strengthening exercises to make sure that you can have the musculature to eliminate and it's still not working, then we can talk. All right. Number three way to empower our health as we age is restoration. And this is something that's so important in, in countries that are developed. Yeah, where we have all of this media thrown at us at all times. And the thing about media, especially in the United States, is that it's very sensationalist. So you hear, and now on evening news, right? And things like this. And this actually has a huge effect upon your nervous system. And we don't even know it. But we have constant stimulation at all times. If those are colors or bright lights or from the TV or whatever it is, all of this sensationalism is constantly keeping us in a state of flight or fight. Yeah, it's the part of the autonomic nervous system called the sympathetic nervous system. Perhaps you've heard of that, flight or fight. And so we always kind of feel on edge, right? whether we know it or not, even if we feel we're relaxed. I teach restorative yoga, which is the most probably relaxing thing that you could ever do. I highly encourage all of you to try out restorative yoga. It doesn't take any flexibility. It doesn't take anything. It takes the ability to close your eyes. Can everyone do that? Yeah, so you're qualified to, to try restorative yoga, right? But in restorative yoga, uh, really what we're asking is how deeply can you relax? How much can you let go? And it's incredible that even people my age, they find that they can't relax, that they can't let go, that they don't know how to reprogram that pathway to go from sympathetic, the flight or fight, to parasympathetic, the relaxation response. And so learning that is really important. The legs up the wall thing that I mentioned earlier, that's one of the best ways to start to embrace, okay, wow, this is what it feels like to be relaxed. And then once you know what it feels like to be relaxed, track back the pathway of how to get there so that you can rehearse it and do it at any time. And so me, I can be cramped in a bus, right, in the middle of Peru with people all around. And normally, right, you'd be sweating and you'd be nervous and you'd be holding your muscles in tight. But as I surrender to the process, right, and go through that process of knowing how to let go and relax, it's okay. And then you change the, the effect that it has on the body. And it's no longer a disease-causing situation, but a health-inducing one. And so we have this power in every moment. And, and the power of knowing how to restore and relax is, is one of the biggest that you could ever imagine. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so this restoration also includes sleep. 
and making sure not only that you get enough sleep, but you're sleeping the proper hours. And so the modern systems of medicine, and I call them modern because they're quite different than what I do, which is tracing back three to four million years of human and evolution. These modern systems of medicine, like Indian classical medicine, Ayurveda, or traditional Chinese medicine, perhaps you've heard of these. These modern systems of medicine recommend that we go to bed much earlier than we do because the thing is, when are we supposed to, human and environment, like if we're out living in the wild, when are we supposed to go to bed? When the sun sets. When are we supposed to wake up? When the sun rises, right? Before this light bulb, there was an ultimate light bulb that dictated our patterns. But now that we don't do that anymore because we have this light bulb that we flick on when that one goes down. We tend to be staying up through hours where we need to actually be sleeping. And so traditional Chinese medicine recommends that we go to bed between 9 to 11 p.m., so 11 at latest. Ayurveda, Indian classical medicine, recommends that we go to bed no later than 10 p.m., between 6 and 10. And so uh, this is one of the great things about getting older, though. You get to go to bed earlier, right? <laughs> so perhaps I'm preaching to the choir, but this is something that I would encourage you to implant in your life. No matter what happens, make sure head on billow, eyes closed, in dream world by 11 o'clock. And that actually just changing your hours of sleep can drastically change the quality of sleep you get. And there are many reasons we could talk about this for hours. I hope you're listening to me, Father. <laughs> so going to bed early, waking up early, early to bed, early to rise makes a man or a woman healthy, wealthy, and wise. And so truly embracing that and realizing that it has a big physiological response in the body. So practical things, restoration. So hydration, elimination, restoration, that good quality rest, well-timed. Number four is to limit toxicity. And this might sound pretty crazy uh, because you don't know what it means, perhaps. But the thing is that uh, we are surrounded by a bunch of synthetic chemicals that our body doesn't recognize. And when our body doesn't recognize something, it's seen as an invader. And when it's seen as an invader, the body responds. And so we're walking around in a constant state of inflammation, right? of fighting, remember that fight or flight, of brewing illness because of the tremendous amount of toxicity that we're exposed to. And I'm not only talking about like when they spray the air to kill mosquitoes, or when they spray chemicals on your lawn, or if you're having fruits and vegetables that aren't organic, that they've sprayed pesticides on them. Have you seen the photos of people spraying the fields? They're wearing space suits, and they're spraying chemicals on the fields, and it's like, wait a minute, aren't we going to eat what they're spraying? Why are they in a spacesuit? How is this a good idea? <laughs> you see that? And so, of course, having chemical-free fruits and vegetables shopping at farmer's markets is an incredible idea. Unfortunately, the label organic in the United States doesn't mean so much anymore. Um, but we do the best we can. Having your own garden can be one of the most amazing things. In fact, dirt is one of the most potent sources of probiotics, soil-based organisms. And so having your hands in the earth is going to have a tremendous effect on your health. Did anyone used to garden or still does? I'm glad my father raised his hand. <laughs> and so, I mean, there have been many clinical studies showing that dirt is an antidepressant. So I'm sure everyone would like a dose of that in the form of dirt. Why not? So uh, the, the kind of toxicity that I'm talking about here when I say limit toxicity most specifically is often what's in your bathroom cabinet. And so I'm going to challenge you again and invite you to go home 
and open your bathroom cabinet and turn around all of those little things inside and look at all of the ingredients. And this is anything from makeup to shampoo to any sprays, perfumes, other things like that because these are potent chemicals that are adding to perhaps a future development of disease or not. That's in your control, it's your choice. All right, so turn it around. I, I didn't wear makeup for many years, but I've started wearing makeup again because I found this really cool company out of San Francisco. It's called 100% Pure, and all of their makeup is sourced from fruit. It's all natural. And so there are many, many alternatives, especially in the world of today. If you go to a natural health food store, you can replace every single thing in your bathroom cabinet because when you put those toxic chemicals on, right, they, they're eaten directly into your skin. Our skin is our biggest absorber. And so what we put on, we put in. And so if you don't recognize all of those chemicals, just like on the back of a food label, on the back of your shampoo or your makeup or your perfume or whatever it is, know that you are eating that. And so, of course, the question ultimately is, what are we feeding ourselves? Hmm? All right, number five, way to empower health as we go later in life. Uh, notice and prevent inflammation. And so this is, I told you we would talk a little bit more about fasting. Uh, the understanding of, of fasting, not taking in solid fibrous matter for a certain period of time, is that when we fast, the body is given the time and space it needs to heal itself. That's what it needs, simply nothing coming in. All of a sudden, it gets to fix anything that's imbalanced and come back to this amazing state of balance. So I shared with you some cases of disease reversal that I found. I have tons more from past clients of mine as well as from my colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. And we find that this, I mean, it sounds crazy. I give whole lectures on fasting and you're welcome to go home and listen to the podcast if you'd like. So you can hear more about the practice of fasting itself. And it sounds like something crazy, like dangerous, right? Going without food. But the truth is that our bodies are made to go through cycles of feast and famine and feast and famine. And what do we have today? feast. The famine never comes right, in this world. And so our body's never given time to heal itself. Does that make sense? And so because of that, this is why we're finding such highly developed rates of disease. All right. So um, when we go through this fasting cycle, I talked about injuries and things going away as inflammation goes down. Start to notice inflammation in your own body. And this can come through the puffiness of the face. Right now my face is a bit puffy because I had vegetable oil in Peru. And so knowing that on myself, and I, can, I could even show you pictures of times when I'm fasting about how things change, right? Um, I got in a motorbike accident. I know that sounds crazy, right? It's, don't worry. I'm fine. I'm happy. It was, it was all meant to be in my life. But uh, I, I, my knee got injured right, a few months ago. And so the injury comes and goes depending upon my diet. How crazy is that? When you start to notice these inflammatory responses in your body, you can have control over when they come and when they go. And fasting is the fastest way to wipe out all inflammation so that we can have this clean slate. And the thing is, a lot of people are talking about what they think about health, or especially doctors, for example, today are talking maybe about health. They're more focused on disease rather than health. But people don't know what it's like to have a clean slate to have no inflammation in their body, to be reset, 
And so the process of fasting, I didn't, when I was planning for this, I didn't think that I would push it so hard. But in general, the process of fasting is the most incredible thing that you could do to press that reset button. And it takes like three days. There have been medical studies two years ago. There was one at USC done to show that three days of fasting, and this was a study done on cancer patients, on chemotherapy patients, so not what we would call healthy people. Within three days, not only was the immune system completely boosted, where at first you saw the white blood cell count drop, and then after the fast, it went up higher than it was before the fast, but that their body itself was actually healthier after. And so we have this whole idea of the old adage, food is fuel, right? Like you need to eat to thrive. Well, all the work I do is saying that that life force energy, that thriving that's inside of us is irrespective of food, for sure nutrition and for sure calories, but that there's something that lives inside that can go on. And so this summer, I just finished a 47-day juice fast, right? So I didn't have anything, no solid fibers matter for 47 days, right? And the human body itself can thrive and survive for 40 to 50 or more days on water alone. And that's when we see tremendous healing. Because the body's not tasked with all of these things to do, and it can just reset. And all of the, the things we think we need... For sure, calories, a little bit of fat, we have some saved over that we could survive off of, right? Definitely nutrition, it's stored in our cells. It's not like we need to reboot that every single day of our lives. And so just entertaining that idea and uh, visiting our perspective that perhaps we eat way more than we need to. <laughs> Three times a day, five times a day, six times a day, who knows, right? They have the campaign here for Taco Bell, like the second dinner something like that, right? This is just an overfed and wholly undernourished country. So understanding and noticing prevention, preventing our own inflammatory responses in our body can be a really, really acute way to start to understand our health. Number six on 10 ways to empower our health as we age, move, move and breathe. So on this one, everyone, take your hands up, take your arms up. I'm actually going to take my sweater off. And move around, maybe right and left a little bit. Do whatever feels good, but like really reach your arms up, not just up like this. Really reach them up. Yeah, maybe do a little forward fold. You can. You can reach them behind you. Squeeze the shoulder blades together. Relax your jaw. Maybe let out a sound. Ha. Ha. Come on. That's it. Good. Heading to the toilet. So this movement, notice now how you feel. Do you feel different? What feels different? Perhaps you feel more awake. Perhaps you feel more able to sit and listen. Perhaps you feel more able to breathe. That's a big one. That big breath. And so number seven here, or is it? It's number six. We're almost there. Don't worry. Number six is move and breathe. To feel the effect of movement and to do it liberally in life. This is so important. So moving, breathing. And so how do you move in your life? In which ways do you move? Uh, as a yoga teacher and yoga teacher trainer, I have a big, big, big bias toward yoga because it's one of these ways where we can not only incorporate exercise. It's not only about exercise, but it's about self-knowing, which we'll talk about. That's number nine. It's also about breathing. And when we combine all of these things together on the mat, it has tremendous results for health. And so I've done numerous studies on my own, and I've also read numerous clinical studies that show the effect of yoga on preventing disease and reversing. 
any disease that's there. So I'll show you one little thing that's super simple. Uh, this is a yoga posture. It's called Apanasana, which literally translates from Sanskrit as wind-releasing pose. It's funny, yeah? Makes you fart, okay? Even if you didn't get it. So Apanasana, knees hugged into the chest on the back. This is something that I recommend that anyone over the age of 35, because that's when we start to see bone density markers go down today, that early, anyone over the age of 35, do this every single day. On more of a harder surface, and what you'll find is that you start to like, get this beautiful massage through the back. Well, a lot is going on there. Number one, you're actually building bone density in the back of the pelvic structure because the way that bone density is built is through that resistance. It's like a highway project. Potholes in the road, let's pave them over. And so you have to give it a little bit of exposure. So building bone density as well as massaging into a nerve plexus right there at the sacrum. It's a calming, restorative action. And so if you want to have something else to add to your daily life, along with the water, along with more fruits and vegetables, along with pooping more, along with squatting, along with having natural products come on your skin, things like this, it would be to lay down and rock side to side once a day. Yeah? But this is building bone density in the hips, a place where it's difficult to do it. All of our other yogic poses do build bone density all throughout the rest of the body. And this concept of building is what I'm emphasizing. Because what's been emphasized to you likely in the past is the fact that you're getting deconstructed as you get older. But that doesn't have to be the truth. I'm here to tell you that all tissue has memory and bone itself is tissue. And it can be rebuilt. It's just a matter of every day doing a little something. Right? So um, building bone density would also include getting rid of the stuff that's decreasing bone density. And so the next number that we'll talk about is looking at your acid alkaline balance. So does anyone remember, I'll take you back to high school chemistry class. There's this chart from zero to 14, acid to alkaline, seven is neutral, all right? Well, the thing is that the human bloodstream is 7.34, it's slightly alkaline. It cannot deviate even a little bit above or below that or else you'll die. <laughs> And so your body is willing to do whatever it takes to maintain that slight alkalinity of the blood. Well, the thing is, when we take in things that are super acidic, like alcohol or coffee, or things like red meat, for example, or sugar, white processed sugar, it's super acidic. And when the body takes that in, it has to keep your, your blood alkaline, remember? And so what it does is it scours or it scavenges throughout the whole body looking for the most alkalizing minerals available to re-alkalize the blood. No surprise, one of the most alkalizing minerals is calcium. And where do we find that in the body? In the bones. And so what happens when we expose ourselves to those acidic intakes of things is that we are actively leaching calcium from the bones to re-alkalize the blood. So... It's not just I get older and my bones get weaker. It's I get older and I've been drinking coffee every single day for how many years? My mom asked me if, if we could have coffee this morning. I said no. So if anyone's missing coffee, that's why. Because I don't want, I'm, I'm very, very integral with everything we do. Yeah, there you go. Very good. So we find that this is, this is one of the biggest habits that people are actively 
weakening. Yeah, not to mention that coffee itself, one cup of coffee dehydrates you roughly to the equivalent of four cups of water. So that whole three liters thing that we're losing, are we actually losing more? And so that's something to think about. Yeah, I know that this is a big lifestyle change. But it's funny because it's like, why do we drink coffee? Because we want to feel awake in the morning and we want to feel alert. Well, why do we not feel alert? Is it because we're not going to bed early enough? Because we're not hydrated? Because we're not pooping enough? You see, it's all this one big cycle. And so I'm here to just perhaps plant a seed, to inspire, to encourage you to take this and say, okay, you know, I want to climb out of the cycle. Yeah, that's, that's enough. So just finding, finding your own way and finding your own time, but knowing that this acid-alkaline balance, the thesis here is that disease only and ever will exist in acidity. Disease cannot and will not ever exist in alkalinity. And so what, what foods do we take in that are alkaline? I'll give you two guesses. Fruits and vegetables. Oh my God, it's all making sense. Not only are they what makes us poop, what hydrates us, what gives us the most potent amount of nutrition, but they're also what alkalizes us, keeps our bloodstream nice and alkaline so that we can be healthy. So we start to find, wow, everything's connecting in. And this acid-alkaline balance has a lot to do with bone density. And so I'll just briefly, super briefly speak about milk because uh, sometimes when I say, where do, you, where do you find calcium? People say milk, which is funny because all throughout the 90s in the United States, there was this Got Milk campaign. Thousands of millions of billions of trillions of dollars put from the American Dairy Association for people to think that they need milk. When indeed milk isn't something that humans have been having for a very long time. We're the only species that drinks another species milk. So unless you could imagine being under a cow and going there's not really much of a reason why we should be having it. You see that? We have mother's breast milk up to a certain time. And then after that, it's just not needed. And actually, milk does the opposite of build strong bones. The three countries with the highest rates of hip fracture, which is a marker for osteoporosis, as many of you may know, Denmark, Sweden, and the United States are also the three most countries with the highest rates of milk consumption. And so we're finding that actually milk is quite acidifying inside the body. So just like coffee, just like alcohol, it's leaching calcium from the bones rather than giving back to it. That's a pretty important thing to remember. Other ways to build strong bones as we go later in life, sunshine, 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 sunshine. And so that's 15 minutes to absorb your vitamin D between the hours of 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. Right? On skin without sunscreen, it's only 15 minutes, it's okay. Go ahead, absorb your vitamin D, store it up for the winter. Maybe many of you go on holiday or you take a snowbird to Florida, things like that. Get your sunshine. Also vitamin K. And other things found in leafy green vegetables. Leafy green vegetables. That's the number one thing missing from the human diet today. I always invite people to look outside. You have many windows to look outside. What color do you see? Green. green. That's the number one thing missing from our diet. So how can you make sure that half of your plate is green? And almost every meal. What would that change? But these are ways to build strong bones. These are things that are in your power. And the thing is that before this, you might not have known. But now you can't leave here without knowing this information. And so it's going to perhaps forever change the way that you look at things. I hope. I hope. Because the thing is that what's normal in our society today 
isn't what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about things that are normal. This might feel very abnormal. And the thing is, what is normal is disease. And so one of my very favorite influencers of all time, an Indian sage named Jidhu Krishnamurthy, his quote is, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And unfortunately, that's what we have today, are more people sicker than ever before. And so for whatever reason you've been brought here, for whatever reason this has been my life purpose, right? you've known me since I was born, perhaps to tell you this information. There we go, getting emotional again. <laughs> All right, so we have uh, two more numbers to get through before we open up for questions. Number nine is a really important one. And this is more or less the path of yoga and the path of self-awareness. Number nine is self-awareness, self-knowing. And that might sound crazy. And what I've observed coming back to, this, to the States this time around, because I don't come here very much, and so because of that, when I come back, I'm able to see from a big picture perspective, more or less, how people interact and how they relate, just like I would culturally anywhere, whether it's Peru or Iceland or Indonesia. I can observe from that outsider perspective. And what I've noticed this time around is that uh, in the United States, people are very externalized. Which is a great thing, because Americans are known to be friendly, right? They're not afraid to say, hey, how you doing? The, the shadow side of that, or the downside of that, is they don't actually say, how am I doing? And so this self-awareness, or this self-knowing, this deep connection to this is why I am the way I am, right? The, this deep awareness of these are my patterns of how I normally react to things, this is how I get along with my husband. This is when he says things that triggers me. And not just reacting to that, but saying, what actually triggers me about that? And so in the United States, we would call this like self-help, I think, right? And, and many people would be resistant to self-help because we have this whole idea, I don't need help. Right? I've been there. But the, the awareness that we're all humans, we're all going through this human experience, and that maybe... If we start to look inside, we can find answers that would make the life around us, outside, so much easier. Because rather than reacting, which has a tremendous effect on our physiology, we can say, okay, right, take a deep breath and see what's really going on. Not what my emotions or this energy or this reaction wants to be going on. It's not about things being right or wrong. It's about seeing really how, how can I love more. How can I love myself more? And so just starting on the path of self-awareness. Why do I do the things I do? Why am I how the way I am? And so over the past five years, I've been studying astrology really intensely. And I know that this isn't part of the health talk. But um, this, is, this is not esoteric by any means. It's, it's an acute science. And I've seen patterns, this pattern that's woven throughout human existence. And so astrology is one of many ways to get to know yourself. Yeah, so perhaps an astrology reading. It sounds, I know it sounds like fortune tellers and things like that, but it's, I, there's actually a lot to it, believe it or not. And you have way more than just where your sun is. And so when you start to know yourself, you stop taking things personally. Does anyone find that they're constantly taking things personally? Yeah? Yeah. So that separation from taking things personally, that separation from person and that reunion to something greater than yourself. And, and harmony is really what it is. Harmony and love. Isn't that what we all want? For thing, people to just be calm and happy? It starts with us. 
And so number nine, which has a tremendous effect on our health because it impacts our physiology. If we get triggered by something, the heart rate starts to go. We feel it. Our body doesn't know the difference between our husband yelling at us or a lion attacking us. And it will have the same exact response inside. And so if we're looking at where disease is created, right? or if we're yelling at our husband, it doesn't have to be our husband yelling at us. huh? Where disease created starts from there. And so noticing self-awareness, being aware of how we're reacting, taking that deep breath. Right? And, and again, that's why yoga is becoming so popular. I read the Yoga Alliance just came out with a modern yoga study. 40% of Americans are planning to do yoga in 2017. I mean, that's probably inflated, but that's a huge number. And so perhaps I encourage you to be among them because this is a practice that gives us the tools and the practice of just taking a breath and saying, okay, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? And what's really going on here? That self-awareness. All right, number 10 is acceptance. And these two are inherently interrelated. This is always how I finish my lectures. And this is at the, the root of all spiritual teachings anywhere in the world, whether it's from Judaism or Christianity or Islam or Hinduism or anything, is acceptance. And so I'll share with you a personal mantra that I carried through formative years of my own personal development. And it is, whatever it is, it's okay. Whatever it is, it's okay. And that's huge, because if you can stop with all the resistance, if we can stop with all the resistance of, no, I want it to be that way, or why isn't it like this, or this isn't fair, or whatever, whatever it is, it's okay. That relinquishes you of all of the stress built up in the body. And that stress and that tension is what creates disease. And so even though it feels like maybe we've gone off into some spiritual talk rather than a health talk, they're inherently related. Because health comes down to what we eat, what we drink, and what we think. And so also having outlets to process anything in the body. Um, yeah, getting into to the whole greater field of alternative health because it's, it has a lot of answers, a lot more answers than the pharma, medical, industrial complex. And so um, accepting of saying, okay, not only how can I know myself, but how could I accept this? Or how could I see that this is happening so that something else better can happen? It's kind of like that everything happens for a reason. Have you heard that, that idea? Embracing that at a physiological level will have tremendous results for getting younger as we age. So that's our list, and I'll just review them again. Hydration, elimination, restoration, limiting toxicity, yeah. noticing and preventing inflammation, moving every day, yeah. breathing deeply. As you move, yeah, take that deep breath. Building bone density, looking at the acid-alkaline balance, and then self-knowing, self-awareness, and acceptance. But this is pretty much a surefire way to get younger as you get older, to feel better every day, right? and, and to start seeing results now, from now, not from tomorrow, from now. And so I hope that this has provided you with tools that you can use, and some of them you might experiment with, others might have scared you too much. It's all good. Again, I have no expectation of you. I'm here because I love you. Yeah? So, oh, thank you. <laughs>
would love to hear your questions. If you have anything specific, can be specific to you, can be about the content, can be about health, anything? <laughs> Let's save those for <laughs> When you're no, saying drink more water. You to do a 47-day juice fast. Because I live, I live in a living laboratory of experimentation that everything I say comes from having been tested and verified on my own body. I find that people are walking around today sharing information that they've read somewhere, they've been taught, that often, like I said, that professor, that scholar doesn't know what they're talking about, or 10 years later they change their mind. And so uh, I do experimentation to find the limits, really, of, of human vitality. And, and I, I wowed myself. Yeah, six months before that, I had done a 30-day juice fast. And um, traditionally, I'm a water faster, which provides for a lot more healing, a lot faster. But the thing is that you can only do water fasting in really clean parts of the world. And unfortunately, Bali, even though it sounds like paradise, it's not one of the cleanest parts of the world. And so it's not a place for water fasting. So I started juice fasting, which means that there's still nourishment coming through, through fruit and vegetable juices, which is not a smoothie, right? They're different. Juice has no fiber inside. Um, and so I experimented with juice fasting, and it totally changed my, my fasting practice. Because normally I understood fasting as, okay, I, I have to rest in bed, and it's really important, and I shouldn't be fasting and working. And then all of a sudden I did juice fasting, and I was like, whoa, I have so much energy. This is incredible. Because mind you, this energetic exchange, and this is something I didn't share, which is really important, this energetic exchange, the fact that digestion itself, the digestive system, can take up to 70% of all available energy. And this is something you know. After Thanksgiving or after a big holiday meal, how do you feel? Super tired. You find that all of that energy is going inside. Well, the thing is, when you don't have any digestion happening, that energy can go to not only heal and cleanse at a cellular level, but to make you feel fantastic. And so on day six or seven of my fasting programs, people say, wow, I feel amazing. They just they don't get it because they're so bogged down all the time with all this food and all this process of digestion. And then they feel amazing when they don't have it. And so your question was what prompted me to go on this. Well, I felt amazing when I did juice feasting. I was like, well, I can still work. I'm even higher functioning than normal, and I'm a pretty high-functioning human being. And then after I did 30 days, I said, well, you know what? What would it be like to go longer? Because the human body could go much longer. There are programs of 90-day juice feasts. If you want to reverse and heal and cleanse disease, cancer, autoimmune disease, heart disease, whatever it is, if you want it to go away, that's within your reach. Now... Yeah, and it just takes that time and space for the body to heal itself yeah. and also for prevention. And so what prompted me to do that? To see what would happen, to see how it felt. And so I have a very, very rigorous yogasana practice. I practice for about two hours every morning. Um, and it would be roughly the equivalent of like running a triathlon, something like that, in terms of the jump throughs and the jump backs and what I do. And um, this practice, I didn't expect it, but I did it while I was fasting. And it only got easier and better because there was less inflammation in my body. And my body was lighter. And I was able to have that harnessing of this, this birthright, that energy. We call it prana. Right? It's called chi in the Chinese world. Right? It's called manna in Hawaii. It's all over the world. It has different names. And so it was, that's what this past 47-day fast was, was to show me that I could harness that more easily and still do your physical activity. Does that answer? Yeah. Okay. When you're talking about drinking a lot of water, yeah. how good is the water? Ah, we didn't get into that. Thank you. Good, good question. So the quality of the water is huge. 
Uh, a lot of tap water today is uh, filled with trace residues of pharmaceuticals from the woman down the street or the little boy next door on Ritalin, right? because our water processing plants haven't been updated really since the 1980s. And so we're drinking that in, right? As well as like in places like Ohio, I grew up with fluoride in the water. Fluoride's been denounced as a neurotoxin in Europe, and yet it's in our water supply. Right? That's pretty crazy. And so looking at that and saying, whoa, all right, what kind of water? The kind of water that we're meant to be drinking as human beings or animal beings on this earth is mineral spring water, where that water has roughly the same pH as our blood, where it's filled with minerals inside that nourish and build our bones, for example. And so mineral spring water is what we're meant to have. So this is interesting that you pull this, this out because a lot of times what companies in the States do, a lot of times what companies in the States do is they'll label it, they'll label it as spring water when it's not really. So what you want to do is look on the side of the bottle and see if it says bottled at the source or not because otherwise it might just be owned by Coca-Cola and they call it Jackson Springs or whatever it is. Clever, isn't it? So bottled at the source, awesome. And so I, this is interesting that I'm proposing this to this group. This is what I propose to my clients from all over the world. And I don't often have Americans. I have clients from all over the world. There's a website called findaspring.com. And it's actually from the United States. Go to this website. And there are springs all over where you can go and fill up for free. And so what I encourage my clients to do is get big 20 liter or I don't know how many gallons is that? containers of, of jugs of water, drive out into the countryside once or twice a month. And how nice is that to get a break from the city, a breath of fresh air, beautiful scenery, right? nice little holiday. Fill up your spring water and bring it back. And then it's free. You always have it. It's the best stuff you can get. In the meantime, there are little drops that I use. I put in my water. They're remineralizing drops. And uh, I actually import them from the States to Indonesia. They're from the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Uh, they're called concentrate mineral drops and things like this uh, can be amazing to remineralize your water so that it's beneficial to the human body again. So what kind of water? Very good question. For now, I, I would just be happy that there's wetness in the body, but quite often it'll run right through unless it's mineral water where it can actually be absorbed by the cells. Is, is beer a fermented fruit? Uh, it is fermented, it is a fermented beverage, but it doesn't give you the same positive <laughs> response in the body. In fact, it's incredibly acidic. It's made from wheat, which is very inflammatory, uh, but of course it's made through a process of fermentation. Beer would be something that would be negative for health. And mind you, I, I'll say just a note on this, this is something I normally work with more with my 20, 30 something age crowd, but the whole idea of alcohol um, is one of the modern human's biggest escape forms. We're running away from ourself, that number nine, self-acceptance. Right? And alcohol is not something that's seen anywhere else in the animal kingdom. It's not something that is even old. It's only about 2,000 years old. Alcohol came from monks in a monastery somewhere in the Celtic region where they were making medicinal herb gardens in the back and they were making tinctures with alcohol to save the medicinal properties of the plant. One day, one monk took a little too much, <laughs> right? And he said, wow, this is the effect. And all of a sudden, it released. And so alcohol is actually one of our most common drugs, along with white sugar and coffee. 
in the world today. And so noticing those things and noticing if you drink, I'm not saying not to have wine again, but why do we do it? Again, this self-awareness, what is driving me to have that glass of wine? Am I that unhappy or am I that disconnected or am I that dissatisfied? Or do I not know how to relax and I just want to unwind? I mean, that's fair too. But there are other ways to do that that aren't going to have this detrimental effect on the health of leaching bone density. Does that make sense? So Andy, what do you think about pot? And pot being legalized now and medicinal pot. So what's yeah. pot comes from the ground. It's a, it's a green. So smoking it, smoking it can definitely have effects on the lungs. Um, I'm not a marijuana user and I've never been, so um, I do admit that I still hold some of the judgment that this con- country raised me to have uh, about it. I think that, like any other plant as a herb, that it has medicinal properties. Now, the question is, is it being used medicinally? Or is it being used recreation- recreationally, where it's another form of running away, of not this self-knowing? So, so your philosophy, would you see that as an acceptable term, acceptable alternative to someone that was having cancer that needed to increase their appetite or suppress their pain or whatever in your world? I mean, if, someone, if, if this person were my patient or my client, then I would, um, I would definitely look more from a holistic perspective. So I would look what pharmaceuticals are coming in that are causing certain things. Um, what is their family support like? Do they get to sit down and just be loved by someone for an hour each day? Um, because all of those things will nourish them in a different way where they then won't need the marijuana. Um, I see marijuana, as, even in medicinal use, used as a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism, and that's what most people throughout the world are doing today, are just reaching for one coping mechanism after another, rather than really coming into a sense of health, well-knowing, self-knowing, and, and wellness. And I guess the other question that I had is, you know, this change in lifestyle much easier to do something always when you're younger but when you're talking to women that are 60 that already have done a lot of things that are completely opposite of where you're coming from what kind of studies out there are there that really support uh, I can see the bone density because that makes a whole lot of sense but to reduce diabetes or to level your blood sugar or Mm -hmm. to help with blood pressure issues because with no disrespect you're in your 20s and 30s, and you know, unless you're a sick young woman, you shouldn't have diabetes yeah. or high blood pressure or some of those kinds of aging kind of disease processes. To be honest with you, that's how I would define those. So, what yeah. kind of what kind of information is out there for people more about our age? Awesome, there there are studies done. I would point you to Neil Barnard, um, the founder of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Dr. Neil Barnard, along with Dr. Dean Ornish. Uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstein of the Cleveland Clinic, not so far away. These are doctors who are all working in preventing and reversing disease. Um, look at Ornish and, and Esselstein for heart-related things. Look for Barnard for things related to diabetes or bone density. Um, and I can give you a whole list more. Okay. Definitely Colin T. Campbell. Um, I do want to point out something you said because it's unfortunate and it's scary that people my age, younger, are getting diabetes, are having huge fundus release. And this is the thing. And what you said as well, like that these are age-related diseases, aging diseases, they're not. They're not. They're diseases of the human body not being treated 
as a human body needs to be treated. And it's like we can only go so long or so far without the body retaliating or breaking down. And that's why it seems like an age-related disease. But the thing is, it's happening earlier than ever before in countries all over the world. This is what a lot of my master's thesis research was on in a concept called the nutrition transition. As we see diet and lifestyle change to become something more like what we see in the United States, societies get sicker, more riddled with disease than ever, we, ever before we've seen in history. And so I'm here to say it's not about race for the cure, it's about race for the prevention. That we don't even have to get there, right? And that this is a toolkit and these are ways to empower ourselves to make sure that our body doesn't have to get sick. Can you speak to people in this room, um, particularly me? <laughs> I love you. Cool. So I love that you said that you're addicted to sugar because I, I think that I think that kind of it like admits something. I, I, um, I can tell you that luckily sugar is not like an addictive drug, so that there's not going to be tremendous symptoms of withdrawal and all of this. Um, my recommendation is is first to find replacements. So, so I mean, yeah, for maybe fruit, but um, often that wouldn't be a good replacement for sugar because I'm guessing that you're putting sugar in things. Is that what you mean? When do you use sugar? When I eat desserts. Okay, in desserts. So when I work with clients, I say, where are you not getting the sweetness in your life? And so starting to build other ways like that. And I find this in myself too. When I'm in such a good place and I'm so excited, um, maybe I'm dating someone or whatever's happening and, and it's like life is so full, I don't need to eat. I don't think about food. Not I don't need to eat. Well, I shouldn't say that as a fasting professional. But I mean, I, I wouldn't want to eat that sugar. Does that make sense? Because there's sweetness in life. And so that's part of it. That's just on a psychosomatic realm. And it's, not, it's just something for you to reflect on, for all of you, to just have that as a, as a tool. Where am I not getting the sweetness in life? But uh, a lot of the reason why people reach for desserts today is because they're either dehydrated, so there's this signal, and most of all, hunger is actually thirst. And so if you're hydrated, is that going to change anything? Second, uh, under-calorified. And so a lot of people, especially when they go through dietary change, they're not having enough calories or their body's not absorbing. And so the sugar is a dense, potent calorie source. And so getting enough calories from the good sources will make this, this craving yeah, go away. And then there is a cycle of, of white sugar, especially. It's, it's oh, any white powder, like cocaine. Right? There's this cycle. And so... Um, what I would encourage you is just not to have it. Like, there's a great, a lot of my clients are Australian because I'm in Bali, and there's a great campaign in Australia called I Quit Sugar. And it's just, it, the title alone says enough. I quit sugar. It's like, I quit smoking. It's no longer a part of my life. It's something I'm choosing to stop right now. And I know that sounds crazy because it takes so much more awareness. It takes so much more effort, but it only gets easier. Because as you start to support yourself, right, then it's ju it just it becomes natural. Like people say to me, because like I don't eat pizza, for example, it's not one of the things that I would consider to be health-inducing, and so it's no longer in my life for a myriad of reasons. But essentially, people say to me, "Don't you miss pizza?" And I say, well, "I don't know. Pizza is as edible to me as that table. <laughs> it's like I just don't see it as a food anymore." And so when we start to see things differently, is when things change. And so. Sugar substitutes, for now, I would recommend stevia. My mother used to have a beautiful vegetable garden with, or a herb garden with stevia, the leaf. 
Um, there's coconut palm sugar, which most in the States is produced by my friend in Bali. That's really exciting. But coconut palm sugar is the sap from the inflorescences from the flowers of the coconut palm tree. Uh, and this is a really great alternative as well. Uh, so the, the goodies that my mother homemade uh, that you have in the room are made with coconut palm sugar. Uh, and you know, all of these, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just <laughs> so these are just two examples yeah does that help yes thank you you're welcome I would like to share please experience I had with stevia before everyone switches I know I thought you stevia but what so so I didn't like stevia because it had an acid so I had a yoga teacher in Colorado when we go to Colorado and take yoga, and she recommended the cow stevia. She said it doesn't have the bitter acids, so I ordered the cow stevia and start started using it in the two things. I was insatiably hungry. I mean, like hungry, like you wouldn't imagine. I like would eat breakfast in the morning and like look at my watch like when can I eat lunch? And I mean, it was just it was and I exercised all restraint not to just like eat 24 hours a day. And then I realized that, you know, the one thing that was really changing was the stevia. So I looked it up online and sure enough, stevia is used as an appetite stimulant for cattle in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, when we get when we get into herbs, and specifically, it sounds like the the bitter taste removal, um, that process when stevia is a white powder, it's just like any other white powder. When it's in liquid form, it's been processed so densely, and so that's what I'm referring to, like when my mother do leaves of stevia, it's very different in terms of okay. concentration. And so, it, of course, when you're dealing with herbs as well, when you take it in way larger concentrations, it's going to have even a negative effect. Anything can be a medicine or a poison. Just matter of dosage. That's any kind of herb. So, so yeah. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> it just happened. Yeah. Which is why, I mean, it was crazy. A powdered, powdered green stevia. Like, real. Yeah. Danny would call and say, how was your day? And I said, well, aside from eating and thinking about food, You felt the response. You did. You ran the data, and you said, "What is the only thing? What is the only variable? The only thing I've changed is the stevia." So that I mean, that's a lot to commend. That's awesome. Yeah, Douglas. One thing. One thing that I think you. you I don't know if you omitted it or just bypassed it is gluten. Um, obviously, in the last five years, um, I've experimented on my own body, and when I cut gluten out of my body. It's easier for me to maintain significantly lower weight. Um, obviously, diet, exercise, all these things together combine to make us who we are. But just speak to gluten, would you, from your yeah, perspective so this isn't, and digestion? Oh, thank you. This isn't something I normally talk about just because it's like bread is most of what most people eat today because it's in everything everywhere. And so it tends to stunt people. Um, it's something worth mentioning. If you want to share your personal experience, I can share with you tons of clients. I have men who come into the detox retreat looking like they're nine months pregnant and they walk out looking like they've delivered a baby. Within seven days, 
Because what it is, it's not about weight, it's inflammation. Very good. You're so smart. I love you so much. <laughs> so I call this I call this the Santa Claus body, the Santa Claus syndrome. Right? We see a man who says, Oh, I'm packing all the pounds. Or I mean even a woman as well. Yeah, this central area of the body. I was just in Latin America where we see a ton of skinny, teeny little legs and then right culturally that's very different from where many of us come from. Like this. But in general, the Santa Claus body of this big old belly over the waist, what's in there? All of your vital organs and your intestines. And so when you have something coming in, again, that the body sees not as food, and the thing, I mean, this is, I can speak to you from the ethnobotanist perspective. Wheat is something that is very different now than it was 10,000 years ago in Egypt, acorn wheat. It's completely different. It's been so genetically hybridized and bred Right? that now it's, it's really a frankenfood, it's an invented food. And we look at this in the calonutrient ratio, so um, you know the macronutrients, fat, carbohydrate, and protein. You've all heard of this. Well, any whole food will have all three of these. That's what defines it as a whole food. Well, any kind of grain, which is the seed of the grass family, the poaceae family, that's like rice, yeah, wheat, other kinds of grains, like spelt or whatever they are, they will be in a ratio of 10% or less, 10% or less protein, 10% or less fat, and then the rest is carbohydrate, right? You would consider rice, you would consider wheat a carbohydrate. Commercial wheat today, 89% protein. Less than 10% fat and carbohydrate. So it's completely different. And this is what gives dough. This is what gives dough its <laughs> doughy structure. Right? When I used to go into Block's bagels and make bagels on the Sunday morning, it said 95% high gluten flour. Gluten is the protein composite in wheat. So this is an absolute Franken food that the body simply doesn't recognize. And when it comes into the body, the body says, huh? What's this? What do you want me to do with this? And it responds with this inflammatory response, thinking there's something wrong. So ah, red ambulance sirens come as new blood cells come to try to heal itself. That's what inflammation is. It's the body's healing response. Just like if I broke my arm, all of a sudden it would start to swell. You see that? And so um, this Santa Claus body, right? the guy's not fat. If he was fat, you would see it in his face, you would see it in his arms inflammation. And so that's what I think you're referring to when you say it's, it's been easier to get the weight down. But it's all white flour. Yeah, so for sure. For sure. And so being being aware of this, it's just that we're not eating real food anymore. We're eating food-like products. Mm -hmm. And so starting to eat more real food and not eating food-like products that are going to cause a ripeness for disease in the human body. Like this is, this is all within our control, which should be really exciting. Because you can walk out of here with a whole new tool belt and things to experiment with. Yeah. So you talked about fruits and leafy vegetables. Can you talk about non-leafy green vegetables? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that they're bad. Vegetables is, interestingly, it's um, there is no botanical category for it. Yeah. It's actually only a culinary or a cultural definition. And so that's why I tend to say it's fruits and leafy greens because they're above-ground plants. Usually below-ground plants... Um, I mean, they're great. I don't want to get into too specifics because I think it's too advanced. Come back next year in two years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's way too but, years. Um, yeah, just, um, yeah, 
yeah, celery. which are fine too. But mm -hmm. uh, they're more. What I'll say, Kathy, is that they're more difficult to digest than fruits and leafy greens. And that doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they're bad. Uh, okay. If you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend episode one of my podcast series. It's my most popular lecture. It's called Food Combining, um, and it's not only about what we eat, but how we eat it together and how it influences our digestion. Clues. Hint. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, lots. I mean, there's there's a lifetime of learning on this stuff, and that's not learning from books. That's not learning from lectures. That's learning from experimenting on your own body. And it can start today, and that's when it gets really exciting, because that's when you get your own answers. And that's when you know truth. It's not just about what we started this with, which was how do you, how do you know what you think you know? How really do you know? When you start to verify it in yourself, the, the knowing comes from here to here. And that's the work I do. Because when the knowing is here, it sticks. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Would it be all right to substitute a really sweet fruit? What was the difference, Dan, eating from eating watermelon, pineapple, which is so high in sugar? What's the difference? So um, there's a big difference, and and there's also contextually a difference. So first of all, um, there's a big difference in how the body processes refined sugars than how it processes fruit, because the thing is, sugar and fruit is suspended in a cellular fibrous matrix with a whole lot of water. So that your body processes it much slower. When is it's there a limit to how much? Well, the thing is, because there's so much water in it, you can only eat so much before you're too full. So you can't eat too much. Does that make sense? That's one part of it. So, so for example, for example, a dried fruit, a dried fruit, um, is not with that water matrix. So you want to be careful with it. Does that make sense? But the first rule, the first understanding of food combining, which is what I just referenced a moment ago, is that fruit is meant to be eaten alone and on an empty stomach. And the reason for that is because it digests so fast that it wants to run through the body. And if it's going to have to be held up by the dinner that you had before when you thought you'd be a good girl and have fruit salad for dessert, that fruit salad is actually going to ferment. Right, simple sugar in a sealed oxygen environment. So there's a lot more complexity in answering your question, but to be brief, um, yeah. Fruit for breakfast is one of my many campaigns, and I'm very proud to say that my parents a few years ago, if those of you who have spent time with them, know that my father won't go to sleep without having a bowl of huge bowl of watermelon cut in the morning, and that this has been one of the things that my brother and I have been able to empower them on to start to move their bowels more, to hydrate more, to eat way more fruit, and that, I, I mean, I think they look great, don't they look great? Do they feel great? Thank you, Mom. Yeah, so, um, like, that's that's what this is about. It's about um, taking our power back into our own hands and doing little things and understanding it from a bigger picture and doing experiments inside. So I hope I've given you something to work with. Thank you all so much for Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media.
Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.